0: everyone, today in What's My Frame, I'm joined by actor, writer, producer, Jerry Ying. You may know Jerry from his roles on Dexter, How to Get Away with Murder and Two Broke Girls, or you may know him from his prolific work as a producer and creator. In 2017, Jerry founded Hero LA, a modern production company with a creative, versatile, and diverse vision. Hero LA has made quite a name for itself in those three short years most recently taking on the uncharted territory of remote filming and production with Quarantine the Series. Quarantine came out of, you guessed it, quarantine, and a group of like-minded creatives wanting to create in these uncertain times. But they didn't stop there. They also partnered with the SAG Foundation and donated all proceeds from the series to the SAG Foundation's COVID relief fund. Today, Jerry and I talk about the lessons he's learned along the way in acting, how he built his creative community, and what inspires him. Please join me in welcoming Jerry Yang to the show. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame?
1: Hi, Laura, how are you? So glad to be here.
0: So can you start us off with your journey into entertainment and your many paths that you have taken to here?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I'll try to get through it as quickly as possible. Um, I did not, as most Asian Americans growing up in America, ever even think about the arts never crossed my mind um it's not something supported you know it was it's more about you go into professional life so you know i was on that path went to university of michigan and then i was doing graduate studies in new york um planning to be a doctor that was the plan Mm -hmm. but i abandoned that plan (laughs) for no backup plan i just realized that really wasn't what i wanted to do um I remember walking past a restaurant in Soho and just seeing the energy in that place, the people eating there and the people working there and I was like, "I'm gonna be a waiter. That's what I'm gonna do <laughs> You're
0: so the first actor that has had that perspective on waiting
1: tables yeah, it was more it was like, this is so much more fun than uh going to graduate school and studying biochemistry um so Yeah. So I started working there, but like within six months, um, it was kind of a very hip restaurant called King Cow. If anyone was in New York city in the mid nineties, it was in Soho, amazing place. Um, I basically got asked to model and I was like, that's crazy. Um, I have long hair. I'm Asian and I'm short, but that kind of started that path for three years. And I was basically doing that, not really successfully at all, but working and kind of living, a life you know in my 20s in New York City um, that always you know when you when you model in New York um, you're given a beauty agent at a commercial agency which is like basically don't speak just be and uh, and so I was doing commercials and I ended up doing a lot of commercials back in the day Um, did like Super Bowl my first commercial was a Super Bowl commercial and even then I never considered myself an actor I still was not thinking about acting and I was um, in a taxi going out one evening and the taxi driver turned around and was like, hey, you look like the lead in my feature film. Are you an actor? So the funny thing is I ended up doing this film. It was uh, it was like a Miramax adjacent film. They gave me the part and it was like, I was the second lead, I was the bad guy. Oh um, but it was crazy because I showed up every day on set not knowing anything about the world, actually probably being a super nuisance to everyone. As a matter of fact, I know I was a nuisance to everybody. I was showing up like, where are we drinking tonight? Where are we going out? And it wasn't until the final day where I had the two handed scene at a kitchen table. And I felt it like I remember being there with my co-star and it was cool. And I was like, that was amazing. And I remember having this adrenaline rush and then From that, I almost got a part in Anne and the King with uh, Jodie Foster and Chow Yun-Fat. But at the same time, I was looking to go to drama school. It was finally like dawning on me. Maybe I should try this. Um, And I remember my drama teacher, Bill Esper in New York, uh, said to me, it's probably, I know this is going to sound weird, Jerry, but it's probably best you don't get that part (laughs) and you study. And I didn't get the part. And... So then I went through two, three years of a drama program, and even then, by the end of that, I really wasn't a, a good actor. I kind of needed those three years just to understand what an artist was. But okay. no one had more fun in school than I did. I had a blast, and I was making money. I was shooting a ton of commercials, and so that, that was that, my entry into entertainment. Yeah,
0: is that how you got your SAG card? Was through commercials?
1: I got my SAG card immediately through the Super Bowl commercial. Um, so I've been SAG since nineteen ninety nine when uh commercials really used to pay so i used to shoot like two or three a year and be good it was uh it was it was great and and uh health insurance was free back then which is yeah
0: oh wow that's painful to think of but good for yeah. you for getting in on that one
1: <laughs> yeah so that was my entry point but it was a journey through that you know doing theater in new york a little bit of theater here and there and then I came out to la and started doing film tv yeah. and uh continued doing commercials so Super grateful for my career, you know, really didn't have to have a second job and just sort of, and raise my family on it. But I never felt like I could be great at it. I was always in scenes with amazing actors and just like marveling at them. You know, like, wow, you're really good. And the more I produce and direct when I'm on the monitor in Video Village and I see these amazing actors come in, like prepared from rehearsal, like prose, I always have that little part of my brain, that 5% in the back of my head being like, wow, Jerry, you really were not a good actor. You, <laughs> you should really be grateful for your career.
0: We're all a work in progress. And I mean, good for you for like having that like self-awareness because like a lot of actors, we miss that, that portion of our brain. Like we just don't. Yeah.
1: Have- you know, it's not like I, you know, the thing about these amazing actors is there's consistency it's like being great at anything it's about being consistent and I can have a great scene or a great few scenes or sometimes a great run but it's it's not there every time you know I really have to work on it and you know after 15 20 years yeah I can hold my own but I mean when you're working with people who were born to do and have been doing since they were young it's really really a joy which is what I love now I love working with incredible incredible actors you
0: know yeah now i want to jump right into what you've been working on in quarantine you all started the first digitally recorded series of its kind quarantine the series and also used it as a platform to give back and used all of the proceeds to went back into the sag foundation COVID Mm -hmm. relief fund so i would love to just hear how you like got the idea off the ground where it came from the struggles that were involved in doing
1: something brand new. Oh yeah. There were a lot of struggles. It was all new. Everything we were doing was nothing we'd ever done before um, from a production standpoint. You know, so, you know, it was strange, you know, we, we, we hit the lockdown and I had talked to uh, my partners at Hero LA, my production company, Mm -hmm. and I was convinced like right away, let's work through this. Let's work through this and come out flying and push through it and, and keep innovating and finding ways to work but with each day you know it started getting a little heavier and it became clear that we're probably not going back and i started thinking you know i mean for the last four years with the company i've basically been making everyone else's things whether it's producing or directing yeah. and this was the first pause that i really had i mean it's kind of the first pause any of us have had in a long time um yeah. and so when i get those moments i get into storytelling you know what I come from you know the original thing I'd done from acting that transitioned me from acting to producing was I made a series called We Are Fathers it was the first thing I wrote and directed and sort of launched me into a literary uh mm-hmm. endeavor where I was writing pilots for tv shows and so this was that same thing I started thinking about what can we do I want to shoot this series where maybe every day we put out a little bit but with each day it was like from a producer you know perspective it was not safe to ask actors to come together even if they were friends yeah. you know me being in their apartments or them coming into mine or me coming home bringing you know whatever the coronavirus you know could do to your family it was just not feasible and so i started thinking about zoom i was on zoom like a lot of other people and connecting you know it's a real connection I was seeing people I hadn't seen in a long time. I was enjoying myself. I was having happy hours every day, and so I started thinking of a show, and I came up with the series idea of an out of work soap cast, and so it's not a soap, but it's the actors. Yes. And my first TV credits ever were on all my children, so I kind of know how extra that world is, and also how crazy it is. But those are like pro actors, you know they they work. Every day they have line. I mean, it's it's work. And so the first person I thought of calling was Spencer Garrett, who is one of this town's, you know, most prolific actors and beloved actors. We worked together in Hawaii Mm 5.0 seven years ago and have stayed in touch. Yeah, we spent ten days in Hawaii. It was incredible. Um, But I called him and I pitched him the idea and he was in. And so I started calling friends for certain parts. Like once you have the idea and the cast down, you just start picking like who's available and basically everybody was available. And we decided to go fully above board um, with the big picture in mind and went full union. And so he brought in his producing partner, Jeremy Gordon, who um, I think you've spoken with, who is an incredible cast and director and producer. Um, So then the three of us just Put it all together, and we partnered with the SAG After Foundation and Corny B. Vance, and we launched ahead and made 25 episodes. It was three months of the hardest work I've ever done. It was basically show running. I was writing, you know, producing, directing, and then I was even editing and delivering that. So it was 12, 14 hour days every day. But I miss that now. Like there was real structure in my my lockdown and I avoided the news and we were just working and so it was fun it was a good time
0: and so what were some of like obviously we're all we've all been on zoom way more now in the last few months than we ever have been before um but like what were some of the the difficulties with like figuring out eyeline and directing your actors and were you guys recording theme partners on at the same time we
1: were We were literally making it up as we were going. Um, I'm not going to lie. The first week and a half was kind of a crap show. Um, You know, well, we, one thing that did help was that we decided to use beats kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm. So just had to have the story. I had to have the beats. Um, Eyelines were not really an issue. It was everyone's playing into the fourth wall, into the camera but we did have a full team um my producing partners and my partners at Hero LA we have about 5 four to 5 computers going recording each individual screen okay um, and so it was kind of it was it was it's a combination of multi camera and theater or like improv because we'd show up we'd have an hour per scene and we go over it and then we just run the improv and then you chop it down almost like a multi-camera show. And, you know, I've only worked on one multi-camera in my life. It was Two Broke Girls. And, you know, they're rewriting, like Michael Patrick King would come in between takes and cut lines and tell people to leave. He would say, that's not working. Try this line. So it was super fun. And you never knew what you were going to get, but we knew where we wanted to go and what it was going to look and sound like. And so we would craft it to these great wonders. That we would create with the actors, and the actors adapted to it. And by the end, we all really enjoyed it. That's where, like, the theater aspect comes in. It was like a live performance. So I had the butterflies before each scene. And I think we shot 75 scenes, and I'm proud of each and every single one of them. But that was sort of the challenge working with the talent. Um, but, you know, production wise, there were so many challenges because we were also licensing music i mean we had legal involved we had pr we had marketing we built the show from the beginning with the idea of taking it beyond this zoom show cuz eventually the pandemic would shift and we wanted our show to shift yeah and it would be a 30 you know a half hour single cam you know yeah. a workplace environment of chino hills our fake soap
0: chino <laughs> you know. hills now were you guys
1: airing episodes while still filming? We were, we were. <laughs> that was the challenge. We were putting out three episodes a week. Um, the first week we didn't, the first week we did every day, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And we realized quickly that was unsustainable from a delivery standpoint. It That's where it was back crazy.
0: Yes. And
1: so Jeremy and Spencer um, suggested that we go to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'd, lengthen the episodes to three scenes instead of two and that just gave us breathing room to catch up and then that's where we end up finding our production rhythm you know we'd have writers room had to be done by monday we'd be scheduling and then we'd be sort of working out schedules and then i'd bring in more specific director notes and then we'd show up friday saturday and then i'd be editing saturday night and sunday and then starting the whole process again every week so there was a Sisyphusian vibe to it. Like I didn't know if I was going to make it out of it. But once you got past the halfway point and we were cruising home, it got very sad. We all loved being together. And you know, one of the things I'm most proud about is first of all, everyone worked for free. No one got paid a dime. We donated everything we made to the sag After COVID-19 relief fund. So given that no one was being paid, my job as a showrunner was to make sure we were getting better every week that they were having more fun every week because it's a lot. And now that everyone's been in this pandemic, you understand that it's a lot to ask for someone's time. This is not just, we're hanging around doing nothing. Everyone is scheduled, you know, and they're working. And so to keep everyone excited and motivated, I had to make sure that we were making it easier for everyone.
0: Yeah, So that's amazing. And having created my own content in the past, like so much respect for you because when you were actively filming, and actually pushing out episodes at the same time
1: i thought i was going to die i lost like seven pounds
0: it is a level of stress that like i don't think anything else brings
1: (laughs) but it's a good it was a good training ground for really show running a show you know i'm dealing with a lot of departments i'm dealing with uh content you know whether that material works or this doesn't work whether the final product is funny or not you know and it was coming at me from every direction and i was stretched as far as I possibly could have been stretched and super grateful for it. You know.
0: um, now, we have a lot of content creators that listen to the show and you guys are an excellent example of building out your creative community, just like you were talking about, you've worked with uh, Spencer Garrett on Y5O. Do you have any advice for those that are looking to create their own content going forward? Um, anything that came about that was like, you didn't you didn't see that hurdle coming when you like started the idea, like it was a, a surprise or something you wish you had known before you started?
1: You know, the biggest hurdle is always just taking the leap and doing it. That's definitely the first hurdle. And, you know, it's important to, when it's your baby, you have to lead by example. Mm -hmm. You have to keep building the confidence of the people because to make anything, it requires a team. Yeah. Um, and until everyone's being paid you know, or being paid handsomely, you have to convince people that it's worth their time and their, their experience to come in and help you. Yeah. So you have to be trying to keep presenting, we are trying to do this better. The goal is to not just haphazardly get through something and just say, we did it. The goal should always be, how do we do this the best we can? How do we do this so that there's a vision? And that vision is something for all of us to be working towards and putting our time and effort in, especially during this pandemic, and especially when no one is getting paid or getting paid little, which often, you know, young content, you know, well, early stage content, meaning like someone who's just starting to try to do something, mm-hmm. you have to project and be that leader. and. And because uh, everyone understands in this town, it may not be this project, but it may be the next one. So you want to work with people that are ambitious, that are hardworking, and you believe will do something in this town, because then you can work again later, and it could be more fruitful and it could be more worthwhile, and it, you know people can make a living yeah. together, working together. So to me, that is the most important thing. The creative stuff works itself out that you can't help either. You have the right ideas or the right sense of humor or the right sense of story, that you can't help. You either have that or you don't. Um, And even if you don't, you can possibly convince people that you do. But ultimately it's about um, the journey together and knowing that we're all in this town and this town is small and networking isn't necessarily to me going out to events it's working and every time you work with somebody it's an opportunity to build a relationship and show that person that i'm worthwhile to be working with yeah you know and it's the same thing i do with hero la like building a company you have to keep instilling confidence with professionals because you have to keep making sure the outside world the real world the the entertainment industry will take you seriously yeah so
0: I'm really glad that you said that because I think so often actors and because that it's going to be a while before we're going to like screening events or things like Mm -hmm. that, mixers, um, it's so important to shift that mindset, which I think was like an outdated model. Anyway, networking, isn't that productive relationship building is what will stand the test of time and people will have the chance to actually get to know you throwing out as many business cards as possible before the end of an event is not really going to do anything if you're not coming into focus
1: to A 100%. Point. You know, I also want to add based on what we were just saying, I think a journey that I have that is unique that I think a lot of creatives or actors can relate to is the transition from an actor to a producer or writer director. Yeah. Because as actors, we're the product, we're the brand, we're always pitching ourselves um, in one shape or form. And you have to transition and sort of separate yourself and be like, this is what I'm trying to do and not make it about you. It's not about me as a director. It's not about me as a producer. It's about what I'm trying to build, whether it's a company. And so in some weird way, it's about brand rebranding and it takes time. It takes consistency. And it's not about, Hey, look what I'm doing. Hey, I directed this. Hey, it's, it's about just doing it, doing it consistently. They start seeing What you've built and not you and that's a hard transition for an artist and so one of the things i'm most proud about is when i'm out in the world or when i'm reconnecting with people the first thing they always ask me is like man how's hero la doing or i hear about your show it's not like about me yeah you know but that took like years it takes years of consistently being committed to learning another craft let's just say because they've only seen you as an actor mm-hmm. for 15 20 years and it's all about you and we get it we love it actors yeah. should be about themselves you yeah. know what i mean but it has to be an unselfish sort of journey
0: yeah now you all opened you and your producing partners in 2017 right here a yeah. now yeah. what made that shift for you guys to actually open up your own production company and office and start creating content for other people and brands
1: well It, it had to do, it sounds terrible, but, um, I was writing a lot. Um, I I was writing pilots and I was really kind of miserable, you know, and I was going out pitching shows. I like to write, I'm not a writer, but I like to write and I can write, but writers are very special. You know, they, they wake up, they write, they have routines. Um, and that's just not my discipline. And so when it was my discipline, I was stressed. It was like homework for me. You know, I, I had to keep writing to present to someone else for the off chance that they may make it. And so when I finally asked myself like, Jerry, what is my goal? So at the time my goal was staff on a TV series, crush that writer's room for two, three years and then showrun. And then I realized I'm going to be 10 X deeper in the stress of the corporate machine of television. And I immediately said, that's not what I want. And I called my literary agent and manager and immediately told them, I'm not writing anymore. But I did tell them, you know, and this was it was a it was a great moment, and I did tell them, but we will work together again. I promise you, I'll be back in some way in a yeah. different way. And I am working with them now. But once I realized that, I was like, I, I would like to make things. And I kind of met my partners, you know, I was brought in to direct something. I met my first partner, Tim. He was a cinematographer and so part of it is also about finding the right parts he was working with sam he comes he has a big agency pedigree and i was asking a lot of my friends um, who own production companies how did they build a company like how did you build a business it wasn't like how did you create a great hit show i was asking about how did you build a business and it was about cash flow and commercials faster turnaround as opposed to film and tv which are speculative and take a long time to return money if they ever return money. They're important, but right away, you need money to keep talent around, meaning you need progress to keep a team together and to keep a business together. And we talked about it often. We wanted to build a business that could scale 20 years down the road to the company we wanted, but we started with, we knew branded was going to be the beginning and that was going to support scripted if we ever got to that TV and film and it did when we brought in my fourth partner, Albert. She, who was Paul Thomas Anderson's producer for 10 years, he co-produced The Master and in Inherent Vice. We met at the exact right time and he brought in two pilots scripted that we did for Project 10 that do *Shit's Creek. And then we did our first feature last year with uh, Melora Walters who directed. And we actually just came back from a virtual film festival in Italy just this week, at La Maratelle, and it was live. There were people there. They're, they're going and it was beautiful. And, Melora won Best Director, and Mira Servino, who's one of our actors, she was given a, an award for her achievement with her efforts um, helping women globally. So it's been a real journey. And that opened up film yeah. and scripted. Quarantine, the show we just did, is now opening up television in the way that I've always wanted. So the dream was always to have a film and TV side and the branded side, which I would leave to Tim and Sam, my partners, and then Albert and I will take care of the film and TV. So that's kind of long and short of how we've gotten, where we've gotten, but it's been four years of dedication and being the actor in the group, I had the most time. Again, it takes leadership. I had to put in the most hours. So I showed up always the earliest, I left the latest. I put put that time in to build that foundation so that they could slowly buy in on their own.
0: So many people have production companies that have vanity projects and you are truly you're running a business and that that's very impressive.
1: That's been the 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 part that's you know learning about business has been sort of the hardest thing from an artist, from someone who literally never could balance his checkbook to understanding about running a business. But part of it is finding the right parts, people who like two of my partners have some business background. I'm more the business development guy. Um but you know, it's, uh, it's been a challenge, but it's been a great challenge. And when I was telling you earlier about being an actor and being like, I can't be the best actor, I know that clearly, doing what I'm doing now, I have that sense of like, it, we could be the best if we put our work into it. There's, the potential is there. Whether yeah. we become that or not is up to us. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can't control that, but you feel like the possibility of it. And I feel like we, just got a seat at the table. We're st- we're still at the very beginning of our journey as a company. I'm very proud of what we've done, but now it's really about sales, just jobs, jobs, and jobs.
0: People working. Now I want to go back to acting for a second. Uh, you've worked, like you mentioned, on Two rope Girls, Agents of Shield, and Dexter, to name a few. <laughs> what was your experience climbing the co guest-star, recurring ladder? What was like your journey, finding your agent and like building out your team. Like that's. Oh like God. Um,
1: um, you know, what's funny is that how hard I work now for what I do. If I had any of that as an actor, I probably could have gone further. Um, but it wasn't for me. You know, my journey as an actor was really to sort of give me the artist's sense and the sense of story and to help me be a, the best producer I can be. But, you know, when you're starting out, it was it's all about scrapping whoever you can get to to represent you, um, you're going with, you know, Um, commercially, I was always very bad. I always had the best commercial agents. Um, Commercials are mainly the reason why I never had to have a second job. So but theatrical has not been an easy journey. But I mean, I always say if I showed up in this town with a lot of talent, I'd be angry that I'm not working, but I showed up with zero expectations and I'm completely grateful for every job I get. And, um, you know, I, I just try to do the best I can to try to improve in terms of auditioning, um, you know what I mean? And sort of understanding and there is that journey, like, you know, one of the main lessons for me as an actor that I do carry today, every day with me as a partner at Hero LA and as a producer is, um, it's never as bad as you think it is, you know, the first time in every actor in this town, every actor, I don't care who you are, has spent an hour with their head on their steering wheel in some parking lot, on some lot, whether it be Warner Brothers or, you know, Sony, killing yourself, kicking yourself. Like, why, why didn't I say this? Or I just ruined my chance or that was my perfect part and I messed it up. And, you know, after years of that, you realize, oh, they're never gonna call me back again but they do they call you back again and then you go in the second time and you ruin it and you're like they're now they're definitely not calling me back again and they call you back again all the way until you book that show and i can't tell you how many shows like that i've had and the lesson is just next you know it, it is not what you think it is um no is not even like in my vocabulary anymore it's literally just next they aren't even no's to me they're just you're not right for this and stay positive you know and early on i looked at i had a lot of talented friends some you look at that were really angry and jaded and some that weren't and i just asked myself which actor did i want to be down the road and it was the one that was still happy and enthusiastic and curious and a lot of it has to do with the sort of beating yourself up about missing opportunities you're gonna get the opportunities yeah you know and they will come like dexter's the perfect example like you know I think I must have gone in there like nine times. By the end, I was like, why do you keep calling me in? I'm clearly not right for the show, but I'm definitely happy to come in. And then they end up booking you. And I was on the series finale of that show. And it was an incredible experience that actually um, inspired me and inspires me every day with Hero LA because you show up on a series finale, and I've done two of them, every one cast, crew, craft services, extras, series regulars. They say day one, season one. And it's a sense of pride that they've been with that show for seven years. And I thought at that moment, these showrunners, these creators, these studios helped a lot of people build their dreams. Even if they're small ones, to buy a home, to get married and have a family, they employed them for seven years. And to me, that's always been sort of my motivating factor for doing what I'm doing is that I hope to be able to do that for other people. I hope to be able to employ people. Like nothing gives me more pleasure than making phone calls and being like, hey, what are you doing for this next week? You know, and even better when they're friends and you have a relationship because um, to me, that's what it's all about. And if I can't do it and help everything move along, then it's not, it's not worth it for me. Yeah, I
0: completely agree. Now, just going off of what you were talking about, I completely relate we have all had those like horrific audition experiences or the ones that we walked in we just didn't understand um some are more humorous than others do you have an audition story that you would be willing to share one of them um, maybe it didn't go as planned maybe it was something funny totally up to you how you want to take it
1: oh god one was a super early (laughs) this is good it was a super early commercial audition in new york Mm. um I just always remember this one because it was like a Citibank commercial or something like that nothing no the stakes weren't high it was just another commercial but i remember being paired with this like incredibly beautiful woman and already it was just like the energy was unhit like i was not grounded let's just say and the scene was we're supposed to be in this new house that we bought together eating chinese food with chopsticks out of a a to-go container and he's like, okay, Jerry, so you you gotta eat and you gotta feed her and you're gonna eat and you're gonna feed her. And I was so ungrounded. I was like in my to-go container, I'm eating and I'm just poking my chopsticks towards her and I poked her in the eye, (laughs) poked her in the eye. They had to call like the medics and it it was a disaster. It was a utter disaster. Because all, all I kept thinking about was how am I going to ask her out on a date after this instead of focusing on the audition. So that's not thinking about it, kind of weird. I don't think that type of audition would fly these days, like asking Asian-Americans to eat Chinese food up. This is like the mid-90s.
0: Yeah, when you said that, I was like, wow, they really, they were going a very direct route with that spot. That was a sign of the times.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the funniest one for me. Um, I've had some disasters though. Oh boy. I've had some incredible, di- incredible disasters. I would say the majority of my auditions were disasters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it worked out.
1: But you know, I look back and it's like you, if you don't do the absolute work, it's going to be a disaster. If you don't put everything into that audition um, and then be able to let it go, then you're just playing catch up mm. the whole time. Um, but yeah, as far as auditions go, they all, sometimes they go good, sometimes they go well. A lot of funny stories on sets so though. A lot of, yeah,
0: um, a lot of
1: war stories there. Do you
0: wanna share one of those? I mean, we can, we can open it up to set stories as well.
1: Oh gosh. Um, so I was, Ray Donovan, um, there's a scene with me, Leah Schreiber and oh who's the guy who does all the simpson voices who played Agador in the birdcage oh Oh, he's an incredible character actor i can't believe i'm blanking on his name anyways he uh yeah he's like an incredible actor and we're there sort of rehearsing and liev likes to walk through everything and i remember seeing Liev in new york at the public theater like he's an incredible actor but he's like really in a space and you have entire all the head of departments there all the writers and Liev is like literally walking he's like why would i walk here why would i walk here he's walking through every move to find his motivation it's really kind of fascinating to watch in person um and the other actor was getting frustrated the 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 heads of department were getting frustrated and i just said something i really shouldn't have said and you know the other actor blew up and i kind of sort of Affirmed it and they were like, what are you talking about? You're a co-star. Why are you here? (laughs) And they actually told me to leave set for a minute before they brought me back on I like I had interrupted a process And I learned from that You know that my frustration is not important There's a process going on and even if the other lead actor is frustrated It's not a moment for me to chime in you really just kind of got to keep your mouth shut and um I was basically there as a prop, as a co-star, you know, with a few lines, and uh, I learned from that. I mean, each one of those sort of stories, you kind of learn from.
0: Yeah. But
1: for every bad story, there's an incredible story.
0: Absolutely. You know what I mean? So. And I'm sure you didn't make that mistake a second time. You learned from it.
1: No, I got smart. I just left the business.
0: Get <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> Um, going off of that what is a piece of advice you were given that you wish you hadn't taken and it can apply to acting or producing directing writing just that I advice that you were given and it wasn't right for you you wish you hadn't listened
1: oh wow um, that I wish I hadn't taken um, well first of all I kind of take responsibility for all my decisions I'll ask a lot of questions of people and I'll sort of process it And I'll live and die with my decisions. You know, like if they didn't work out, it's fine. Everything is an opportunity to learn and grow. But if there was one thing, um, I was, I was given this piece of advice for this audition to mime, getting on a horse and do the scene while pretending to ride a horse. Oh no! Oh (laughs) no! Yeah, they were like, I went to one of my acting friends for. Uh, help on the scene and they were like why don't you try it this way where you walk up mind you I'm only holding a piece of paper in my hand pretend to swing your leg over onto a horse and then do the scene sort of like hopping up and down and the funny thing is we got it to the point where it felt incredible I felt like I was in the scene you know like you're playing acting with your friends so I took that exact audition <laughs> into the room and this is before the drop, like really before my career kind of got going, but it was a big opportunity. And uh, I mimed that and I looked over at the faces of the directors and producers (laughs) and the casting director and their jaws, it was a classic mouth wide open. All their eyes were saying like, what did I just witness? It was either the best thing I've ever seen or the worst thing (laughs) I've ever seen. It was clearly the worst thing they've ever seen, but I'm sure they had a great laugh about it. And I hope they tell that story in their everyday lives. But I walked out of there and I was like, yeah, I'm never going to take One that actor's advice that helped me with that audition, but two, I'm not going to mime operating vehicles or animals. Yeah. Or uh, the action. I'm just going to kind of uh, just do the scene.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I would
1: kill for that audition tape. I would kill. anyone out there hears this and was part of that room please send me that audition tape i will pay good money for it
0: was that a commercial
1: that was a feature film
0: oh wow so really swinging big because like commercials i see it a little bit
1: it was a pretty it was in the middle of that run before i went to drama school there was that feature i had shot and then and the king and then there was another one because it's so funny like you realize how the industry works Mm -hmm. I obviously could not act, but there was this heat about, he just did this film, he just auditioned for this, he's doing a callback for this, bringing him in for this. I was in way over my head, way over my head, but I was too ignorant or dumb to even realize that, which I kind of still am, you know, I mean, I never really think about what I'm getting into, and I always feel like I'm a little over my skis, but I kind of like that because it pushes me forward constantly. So I'm always learning, I'm always growing, And there's always a sense of adventure. Like, I want to do this, kind of like the show Quarantine. We had no idea if that was going to work, if anyone was going to vibe with it or if we're going to have fun, but I was like, let's just do it. And so uh, so I'm always, I guess, just slightly ignorant.
0: (laughs) I think, honestly, we have to have a certain sense of blind faith or ignorance, whatever you want to call it, because if we looked at the realities of the odds of it working out, we'd probably not start because we're all very vulnerable and we want people to like what we do or we want people to like us and acknowledge the risk that we were putting ourselves up for. We probably wouldn't do it.
1: So. I mean, this is not an industry to be safe in. Um, you know, yeah. you, you have to take risks and you have to show some chutzpah, you know, if, if, if you want to sort of have a life in this industry that you have some sort of control over. Otherwise, you know, you can, I mean there's a million ways to work in this industry but I mean if you have that sort of bug to do something and most actors do because the dreams are big actors don't become actors because they're like I'm gonna grow up and be an extra they grow up and we all want to be Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep you know so the dreams are big so if you're already in this industry you're dreaming big and to keep that dream alive I think you have to constantly be um, challenging yourself
0: Excellent. All right, last question we ask everyone on the podcast. What's one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self?
1: My younger self?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How young are we talking here?
0: It, it could be as young as January because God knows that was a good time.
1: Oh. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> it could be anytime.
1: Gosh. Uh, I think I would say, and you know, because I have a 14, 15 year old daughter, Mm. um i would go back to my younger self and and just tell that person to listen more
0: Mm.
1: be a better listener um and have more empathy because when i was younger i was a horrible listener and i had zero empathy uh, which is odd for an actor but it's funny because acting has given me that you know i remember doing an improv class real quick story where it was one of those pre-circumstance improvs and my scene partner had HIV and was home on the couch. And the scene started wonderfully where I'm like, Hey, let's go to the park and I'll take you out and it'll be a great day. And it slowly started devolving. I thought it was evolving, but it was devolving to me basically yelling at him at the end, like, get up, get up, put your shoes on and get out of the house, you know, and then the scene was over and obviously I thought I crushed it, you know, because when you're young, you, you equate emotion with acting. Oh yes. And I turned around, or there's a pattern developing here. I turned around to the, my classmates and teacher, and they all had their draw, jaws open. And I was like, I have a problem, don't I? <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, Jerry, you have a problem. You have no empathy. And so that 10 to 15 year journey of me as an artist, is parallel to my journey of having empathy and really putting myself in other people's shoes and growing and maturing as an adult. And so I recognize people without empathy very quickly because I was that, yeah. you know? And it, it's something you have to work at if you don't have it. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably what I would tell myself is to start that journey sooner because I think I missed out on a lot of great relationships um, opportunities and just growth at a younger age. I mean, don't get me wrong, I had a great time in my youth, but, um, I wasn't on the path to being the, the character of person, the quality of person I, I wanted to be. Yeah. And so that's probably, I talk, I said to my daughter all the time, it's just about listening and being grounded. Um, all things I've learned from acting. Acting has given me every tool I work with today as a producer, um, and even as a, a business person um you know next is a huge thing for me like it's just next man these auditions are no different than clients or films or other directors or writers you want to work with it's not the end you know not working together is not the end you it's not true you only have one opportunity to make an impression in this town it's not true at all because the next time you meet that person you could have done more and the only thing everyone in this town wants to do is find people they can work with and do business with and if you've done more they're going to embrace you the second time they see you so you keep doing your work and you keep moving and finding your tribe and growing your network of people that you have relationships with so nice. it all stems from acting
0: Be good people do good work showing up yeah
1: yeah exactly
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Jerry. I really do appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking questions that have really been making me think about my journey and uh, how I got here. <laughs> you know what? I take it back. I would have told my younger self, don't go into entertainment. <laughs> Stick oh. with being a doctor. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Completely kidding. Thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> my parents would be thrilled, but they're thrilled now. I think anything anyone ever wants for their kids is just that they're doing something they love. And, and they're finding a way to make a living at it. So, you know, that's the challenge for all of us in this industry, you know, especially now in this period that we're in with this pandemic.
0: Finding the joy in it and finding the, the thing that keeps us looking forward. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason I started the podcast is it's just like you were talking about like outsiders of the creative uh, field would say that we are just gypsies and like, we don't need anything. We don't need security. We very much are. Mm -hmm. schedulers and we are very much ones that do need and want and seek out consistency and also that sense of community and I think in a lot of ways the creative community has been hit harder than some other ones because we weren't able to just shift our job remotely and keep doing it. It wasn't like shifting your office to your home office. You know, It was very different.
1: 100%. 100%. I just had this conversation with my daughter yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in happiness as something to chase or a state of existing. It's not, the goal is not to be happy all the time. Um, the goal is to be setting things for yourself and achieving them. And happiness comes with that. And the more you sacrifice, the greater that moment of happiness can be. But with happiness also is going to come moments of failure and, and despair. And if you're chasing happiness, you're never going to catch it, especially in this industry. Um, you have to just hang your hat on what are you trying to do and do you do it? The happiness is going to come and it's going to go. And when it comes, it's amazing, but it helps you sort of temper it and realize that it's not as great as you think it is and it's not as bad as you think it is. Um, and it, when I understood that, it made my life happier. I was just a much, a much more pleasant person because um and my goal as a father is not to make her life so that she's happy it's to set her up so that she can achieve happiness here and there but for her to understand that with happiness comes the other end of it and they're both okay they're both totally fine and um that's something I definitely love to tell my younger
0: self so thank you for making the time and also thank you for creating something really awesome for actors to be doing and also giving back to the foundation. That's incredible. really is.
1: That was a total honor and congratulations to you for doing this during this time. It's the same thing, you know, you, you found yourself in this moment and you challenged yourself and I'm aware of the work it takes, you know, and so congratulations to you for this. And thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been fun.
0: Hi everyone. Thanks for listening. And to my guest today, Jerry Yang. If you're interested in watching Quarantine or following their journey into a second season, you can find them on Instagram at Quarantine The Show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and this is What's My Frame.